This episode is sponsored by the one membership by Template Monster. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode 80, How to Manage Multiple Projects. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying that show and you want to support us, there's a couple ways you could do that. You can review us on the Apple Podcast or on that platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only got a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in our show, and we will share a link to your website in our show notes. And the most important one is to just tell your friends that we're here and ready to be listened to, and if you or your friends are ready to go a step further, you can come hang out with us in our Discord server. Well over 300 members now, chatting about everything from... I almost said, almost said sweet rolls. Chatting from everything from sweet rolls to bacon apple pie to nope. join our baking Discord. Uh, anyway, no, it's a, it's a programming Discord. Come and uh, chat about your your latest project and uh, get some help. But anyway, Mike, take it away with your weekly pain points. All right. Uh, weekly pain point this week is redeploying an app through a massive corporate network. Um just a it's always been a pain point for me whenever I have to do it. This time unfortunately it was my mistake. We have the system set up where we can kind of avoid updating the app every time because we have a database system a database updating system inside the app that does the updating for us, but one of the database hasn't been updated in a while and I kind of put a glitch in the code where it won't be updated through this system that we set up, so we have to go through the app deployment system. And it is a pain in, in the ass. Um, if anyone's ever been through a massive corporate system, they know that there's like a million approvals. And every time I go back into the actual uh, virtual desktop environment, I essentially have to re-enable all my passwords and all my email accounts to get into all the other accounts that I need to get all my deployment stuff ready. Anyway, it's it's huge pain. Definitely my pain point of the week. But what about you, Matt? Uh, so that sounds like hell, but, uh, my side isn't much better this week, uh, dealing with server performance. So we, we're deploying a new, uh, learning platform and basically what happened was we were doing just fine. Everything's running good. Everything's good. All all good. And you know, that's fine. I almost said all good in the neighborhood. I'm broken today. This is ridiculous. Talking about sweet rolls, talking about being all good anyway. Uh, but anyway, so we were, you know, everything's running fine and everything's good. And then I dug into the cPanel uh, and found out that there's a whole bunch of performance problems. Now, they've been fixed. No problem. Just little things, little things here and there make thing, making things spike. So I'm just limiting limiting some stuff and that type of thing. And there's tons left. There's like 80% of our RAM, if not more, left at any one time. But as a result of this, we were planning on possibly doing a huge migration extremely quickly. So changing over the whole thing to a brand new high performance server if and when the time comes and uh, we we're basically ready to rock on that although it's a little bit scary so that's that's what we're doing uh but anyway at least everything's stable everything's stable running really well uh, now no problems for the last over a day and the uh, traffic's been actually heavier than usual so we're we're ready to rock in that regard and it's a good thing that uh, we check all of our we check all of our T's. I'm broken, Mike. Cross our T's and dot our I's when we're doing stuff like this. But anyway, uh, we're going to be uh, doing a Mike-heavy episode today, talking about these multiple projects. So, Mike, please take it away. All right. Um, and I, I think just to touch on your weekly pain point, Matt, is uh, we have learned a lot from our experience where now we can kind of foresee issues in the future and start preparing for them before. 
Like, I don't think, you know, a few years ago that we would have started preparing for a massive server deployment while working on the project and deploying it on a different server. What now we see is like, this could be an issue. We might as well be get ahead of it just in case it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, 100%. Don't... Like, we're, we're ready for one big issue that might happen. We're ready to, or like, I'm already, I already have my, my, uh, my service that we'd be purchasing, that we'd be renting. I already have my service selected. So it'd literally be a matter of, I click a button, my credit card's already on the account, and it just starts going, and then I immediately start, I immediately start pulling things online. So, yeah. So, yeah, issue mitigation is, I think, a big thing that comes with experience, and there's not much you can do around that. Like, you can't fake issue mitigation, um, unfortunately. But, yeah, so that's, that's cool. That was a cool little update. Uh, but onto these segments here. So segment number one is project overload. And really this, this can happen to everyone, to anyone at any point in their career. But at some point in your web development career, you're probably going to feel overwhelmed with how much work is on your table. Now, usually you would, that was a good thing, especially if you're like an, your own contractor, you have so much work. Um, but really it, it could develop into a problem. And it really, it usually stems from not having just one large project that you're working on with multiple pieces, but multiple projects of varying size and varying priority. And not only do they vary in priority right now, it's changing priorities as the project moves along, which can cause the kind of panic and stuff like that. Because you, you can do your best and plan out the perfect, you know, workflow and how, how you're going to handle each, each feature of a project, but almost never, like, I don't know if it's ever happened to me where I've sat down and actually gone through my project plan step by step exactly as I planned it out. Maybe that's a bad planning on my part, but most of the time it's just because stuff changes priority. Like this project that you're working on, the customer could have not given you the assets on time that when you needed them. And because of that, you can't move on to the next phase of it, which is like uploading assets or something like that or teaching the customer. It could be something to do with those assets. So you're kind of stuck in a holding pattern. And then all of a sudden you get a call from a different guy. It's like, I need a website in two days. Well, you have some time now. Now you're changing priorities. And this kind of stuff, I feel like it happens all the freaking time. And as much as we want to say that, oh, we got to organize everything and got to make it perfect. That's just not reality. So in my opinion, you just have to be able to adapt the best you can and stick to your project as well, your project plan as best you can. And sometimes that means saying no to someone. And sometimes that means compromising and doing you know multiple projects at the same time and balancing and all that. And I'll be talking about how to manage all that and how to balance yourself and not go crazy when you have a project overload. Which- Actually, something to add in there, uh, if you don't mind. So one of the things I will say about you, you mentioned right at the beginning there that it's possibly lack of lack of proper planning when you have like an issue that could absolutely be a thing. But one of the one of the things that are really sneaky that actually changes priority is when something that was minor or something that seemed minor becomes an issue. So if you plan for somebody to I don't know what's an example if you plan for somebody to edit all of your videos and that person tells you all these videos can be edited in an hour a piece. So you're like, okay, great. That's really good. So you, you know, you film your videos, you give them your videos, they go to edit them. And then they're like, oh, actually my editing suite is slower to export and it's going to take six hours. So now something that was low priority is like, oh damn, like we have to focus on, can we get these uploaded in time? Can we get these properly laid out? What do we do about that? Can we properly... That's where, that's those sneaky things where it wasn't an actual 
it wasn't an actual like lack of planning or something was added. It's literally a matter of, whoa, this, this task is now going to take longer. And now the priorities bumped up just because it's going to literally push everything else out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. Like you can have any situation come up during you could you could think that, hey, the easiest part of this project I've done it a million times is just deploying it to the web server, like a simple, simple web server deployment, no problem. And then all of a sudden you have an issue where this guy, this person needs it to be deployed to these IP addresses, but not these IP addresses. So you've got to go into learning how to whitelist things. Then you have to make error pages for those for those issues, like security issues. You might have to make gated gated sections of the website so that so these these IP addresses can access those. Stuff like this, not defined requirements is what I would call it. Like, but really, I mean, I guess unless you're working on the same projects over and over again, like maybe if you're working in a web agency that only does WordPress sites from templates, this kind of stuff can be mitigated to a certain degree. I think that that's a scenario where you could probably get get away with planning something and having it, you know, take exactly the amount of time that you have planned it because you've done it a million times over and over again. But the nature of Matt, Matt's business and my and our business together is that we take on a lot of different projects with a lot of different requirements and a lot of different people giving them to us. And each section of each of those uh, things that I just outlined can have a bunch of gotchas. And as much as like we have gotten better, like Matt was saying with the mid- like issue mitigation with the server performance stuff, um, we still have a lot to learn. And I don't think that's ever going to stop because of the evolution of the web industry. Uh, everything just keeps going like and I like I like I've said on the podcast before we deal with so many different technologies and we are always willing to look at new ones the ones that fit the task perfectly like we're not set in our ways and we're like we're only using WordPress or we're only using typo like those aren't the things that we're saying because if someone comes to us and they're like well we need e-commerce with all these modern features and stuff like that we're willing to pay for it then we would look at a different t- technology stack and that's where our flexibility comes to mind that's why we having that good base that we always talk about also is a, a huge advantage because we can take on almost i would say almost any project of varying size there are limitations to that like we're, i'm going to say it right now we're not taking on any health record things that's just not, not outs- right now not right not now not right now yeah we're not taking on any health record things we're not taking on any life critical projects as well like if we're if we're responsible for the brake being pressed and like something to show up on a dashboard like we're not doing that Um, but in terms of web development we can pretty much do almost anything and we are willing to you know at least listen to a project and you know quote it and stuff like that and because of that Right now, Matt and I are going through a you know a project overload. Uh, not only do we have projects of different size and scale, but they're almost all using different technology stacks, like across the board. This makes the situation much more complicated and gives us a unique view on how to handle that load. And um, we're going to try to kind of give you a that that a recipe for success or potential success in a, in this situation. So, just to give you an example, personally, I'm currently working on Vue.js. Plain JavaScript, PHP, Cordova, Flutter, iOS, and Android. Those are all different code bases, mostly all different projects, like some of them crisscross, obviously. Um, But those are the technologies that I'm currently having to work with. Uh, Yes, they're slightly related, like these projects are slightly related, but really I have to kind of separate my time to be able to work on all all these different technology stacks and all these different projects. On top of this, 
you still have to maintain your regular meetings and business communications. So with that, I want to move on to segment number two, which is called keep calm and get it done. Now, what I do, first, first thing I do is I try to break up a project into smaller chunks that you think you can handle in, you know, one or two coding sessions. Now, these coding sessions could be different in length. Maybe it's a four-hour, three-hour coding session. Maybe it's an eight-hour, you know, full-day coding session. Uh, but I try to I try to get it so that, like, I know, okay, barring any serious issues, I can get, the like, task A and task B, task C done together in a, in a span of, like, a day or so. Um, and usually another thing that kind of limits the chunks or makes it helps me break down is that I want them to be as self-containing as possible. So I want them to, obviously you're not going to be able to make them unrelated because you're working on one project, but if it's going to be something like a contact form and the coding and the logic for a contact form, then I want to do the contact form and only the contact form for this one chunk. And then, you know, if it's an about page and some logic for like, you know, animating the steps of the about page or something like that, it's just an example, then I want to make that a separate chunk and so on. Like every page could be a chunk. Even you can break, like if a page has multiple, you know, heavy resource intensive things, you can break that out into multiple chunks. If there's logic behind a page, you can break the logic out into multiple chunks. But essentially you want to get it so that you have a task in your task software, you have a bunch of chunks that you can go to, sit down and finish in kind of one or two coding sessions. So this allows for easier tasks and project switching, as you'll be less likely to be stuck in the middle of one of these tasks when one, when something larger comes up and you have to switch switch to it. It's still possible, obviously, but if you have a task that'll take you two weeks, the chances of you having to switch from that task is very high. Whereas if you have a task that takes you four or six hours, they're lower. And when you're finished that task, you can kind of cross it off. It's self-contained and you can move on to the next one or move on to a different project if you have to. One thing actually to, I guess as a question for you actually, is do you find yourself dreading a looming large task when you do that? So you run in and you do a bunch of smaller tasks, but do you find the large, like let's say you're working on two projects, project A, project B, project A is huge, Project B has a bunch of little things you can do. Do you find that if you run in and do Project B and do a bunch of those little tasks, are you not suffering from that looming Project A and it hurts your productivity of of what you're doing, those little ones? So with looming projects, I think that the the issue why they're looming is because you haven't broken them down enough. Okay. You haven't, you haven't organized the project enough to be those small tasks. So when I have that issue, then I, you know, take a little bit of time. And instead of, you know, sitting there and worrying about it, I break the project down into smaller tasks. And then when I go to work on whatever other task, then I'm only worried about, you know, smaller tasks that I have to do for project B. Whereas it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really occupy my mind as much. What you're right. If there's something massive that I haven't, organized or I haven't broken down or I haven't thought about that does loom and that does affect my productivity for sure. So that's, that's kind of how I mitigate that issue. So with that, um, I also try to prioritize the tasks with similarity ta- ta- task per task in mind. So if you have multiple projects, but a few of them are Vue.js related, a few of them are react related, for example, um, what I try to do is if I have to work on multiple at the same time, I'll organize my Vue.js projects together. 
so that if I'm working on, you know, task A for, for project A today, that's Vue.js and task, and I also need to finish task, you know, C for project B, but it's also Vue.js. I'll prioritize those together in maybe a one day coding session. Whereas I wouldn't do the same if it's like project B was a react project or I would try to avoid it. Obviously, you're going to have situations where you can't avoid that kind of stuff and you're going to have to switch between frameworks. But as much as you can, and if you can use your, you know, power of no sometimes and power of shifting priorities, then I would use those to always try to finish one project's task. Like recently, uh, I've been working a lot with Flutter and all of a sudden a reprioritization of a Vue.js project came up. But my issue was is that I was still kind of in the middle of a Flutter task. And I had another Flutter task after that that kind of is related to the first one from a different project. So what I did was I negotiated with the client and been like, okay, listen, I understand this is a priority and I could finish it on you know tomorrow or the day after. But I want to finish these other tasks that I'm doing for you because if I don't, then I'll have – I'll have to come back and relearn it. And that's going to be a waste of your time, waste of my time. And really I'm close to finishing them. If you just give me a day, the repri- like it's not going to change much because even to get spun up in Vue.js back, it's going to take me a little bit and I would lose the productivity of the flutter task. So you can be reasonable. Your clients will be reasonable. If you explain the situations to them, if they're not coding related, like if, if your client isn't a under, doesn't understand code, then you can explain it to him in their own terms. Uh, just explain to them that essentially you're doing like, although it is coding, you know, quote unquote, these codes, this code has different levels of complexity, different structures. Um, if you break it back to the car example, it would be like, you know, going from repairing an engine to changing the brakes or something like that. Like you do... If you're a mechanic, and I'm assuming this, you probably have a different mindset when you're going in to repair an engine, whereas you would go in to repair a, repair brakes. You can kind of like turn off your mind essentially when you're going to repair brakes. With an engine, you kind of have to do a lot more troubleshooting, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I would try to speak to them on their level, explain to the situation. If they still say, you know, this is a priority, I can't do anything, then that's a different conversation that you need to have with yourself. Maybe you do need to work on both frameworks, then you gotta you can power through it, keep calm and get it done. Well, one one of the thing one of the things actually, my throat is dying, so I apologize. But one of the, one of the things that I'm noticing, or that I that I noticed in in our in our Mohawk uh, education actually, in our college education, was that remember our one teacher? I don't know if you remember Mike, but he said that one of the things he does is he learns all of the foundational. So he was an embedded programmer, and he learned all of the all of the foundational pieces of technology that only needed to be done once, and then he completely like he did it. It functioned, and then he completely threw that stuff out of his mind. So, and to kind of clarify it, what he did was he needed to know how to, like, address certain pieces of information off of a chip. So he only needed to do that once. So he got his addressing function, essentially, working. And then he just never, he didn't have to look that up again, didn't lose the documentation, and then he just used his own little function, but he completely forgot how that worked. So you can kind of apply that to keeping keeping some stuff in line, keeping things in order because you can quickly and you can sort of know what you need to set up and then completely forget the specifics. So for example, if you're migrating a WordPress site, you know, like as with most sites, you need to know that you need to take the database, you need to take your files, and then you need to set the, you know, restore your database, restore your files. But then there's specific WordPress intricacies on 
you know, where to change the domain and where do I change this? And like, how do I solve these, these like common issues? That type of stuff. I always look up again. Some of them I remember, but I throw that information out. I only really care about remembering taking the database and taking the files because with that data, I can always restore the site. And at the very least, I have something to work with. I'm not missing something. It's not like I took the files and didn't take the database. I'm always ready and I can take it and actually do the migration. I just have to look stuff up. So I throw out that specific WordPress information. And the reason why that is, is because other stuff, like there's a learning platform that we're working with, like I said, and other websites require you during migrations, or most of them do anyway, requires you to take that database and to take those files. So those are the main things I remember, but I don't remember the intricacies of each little platform's weird thing. I like restore the database, restore the files, see the error, look it up every time. So it's interesting you bring that up because uh, that advice that he gave us is something that I essentially live by in coding. That I think because of that, it gives me the opportunity to work with all these different technologies. What I do is I literally intentionally don't memorize specific framework syntax. The only thing I do is I memorize coding concepts like, you know, if statements, uh, for loops, like all the coding concepts and when to use them. That's something that I will study and I will get up on, but I don't memorize the specific, like how to implement an if statement in Vue.js or how to make something visible or invisible in Flutter. I don't memorize that because I can easily just quickly Google it. Anything that I can easily quickly Google, I throw out of my mind intentionally because I want to only focus on the course concepts of what I'm working on. Obviously, stuff will get kind of, you know, if I'm working with Vue.js a lot, uh, I will start, you know, memorizing stuff. That's just because of repetition. But I don't intentionally go and try to learn how the syntax of Vue.js works or Flutter or anything like that. I just need to make sure that I can code in it uh, to a certain degree and I can Google the questions that I have and I'm able to do that. So any I learn everything around that, that Googling. The, the structure. I don't care that I have to look up how to do an if statement in Flutter because I forgot. Now it's relatively simple. It's the same as as uh, JavaScript, but I'm just giving you that as an example. I don't care. You shouldn't care that you have to Google how to you know import an image all of a sudden into your code because you haven't done an image source tag in a long time. That's not a big deal. Like that shouldn't be something that you worry over. Don't go in there and start memorizing W3 schools because you're worried that you don't know everything uh, off the top of your head. That shouldn't be a priority. The priority should be, can you get this task done efficiently, securely, effectively, like stuff like that? Can you plan this task out? And that, that should be your mindset because that gives you the flexibility to use any tool for the task as long as you know the fundamentals. So that was a good good thing that you brought that up because that definitely helps with this kind of overload of projects and i and i absolutely do that with w3 schools there's some stuff that i just with css properties or something like that w3 schools is a pretty good resource you can just quickly go in because i'll forget what the default value of a property is or something like that and they just kind of have it listed right there and i i use it all the time like i'll forget like oh is it display this or is it like you know what's the property name again is it is it background attachment cover is it background size cover like i know i want the cover so i know the concept but I just don't remember which one I want and what's the property. And there's no reason for me to really keep that in my brain. Another big one is media tags. I don't remember the app media syntax. I just know I needed app media to have a breakpoint, And then I just quickly go and look it up. And if I'm working with CSS a lot in that week, I absolutely memorize the app media 
but the instant I stop doing it and it's a couple of weeks later, I will completely forget the exact syntax. I'll forget where the brackets go. Who cares? You just keep, you just look that up and you just keep moving on. Yeah, exactly. And I think that who cares attitude is exactly how you should apply it. Like I know a lot of people stress over the fact that they just can't, they have to Google everything and they can't memorize simple syntax, but that shouldn't be your stress. You have to think, can you implement the solution? Not can you remember how a, you know, ternary if statement looks in PHP. That's irrelevant. Like I had to do some PHP coding this week. I I haven't done PHP coding probably in a few months, right? No, actually a few years. And it didn't bother me. Like I don't care what language it is because all I have to do is look up how to, you know, get an IP address with PHP, how to do, ver- how to do variable uh, importing and stuff like that. Like it's two seconds of my time. Whereas if I were, if I were to like memorize all that, I would have had to essentially become a PHP expert and then regurgitate it. I don't have a photographic memory, so it doesn't work like that for me. So with that being said, moving on to the next little tip here is comment your code before switching to a different project. So if you're, if you're in the middle of a task and you have to switch to another task because of priority shifting or something like that, like you were on a standup and they're like, okay, stop working on that task. We need to get this done for tomorrow. Work on that task the day after or a couple weeks after because it's been right reprioritized. What you need to do is you need to take some time and go through and put to-do comments. Um, you can Google to-do comments actually, and it'll show you the syntax because there's some programs that actually can organize your to-do comments and show you in in a better format but regardless put comments where you need to do things like if you forgot if you haven't implemented a you know server call here put you know to do implement server call to get uh car manufacturers whatever it is and etc if you haven't laid out the page uh the way you wanted to here because you were waiting on something else put that to do there comment as much as you can with the stuff that's missing in that task because as much as you think you remember it now, if you go off and work on a different task for two days, you're intentionally going to forget all that stuff because you're going to be working on a different task. You're going to come back and it's going to take you an hour to figure out what you were doing, like what you forgot to do. And that also leads to stuff being, you know, go- going through the cracks and having glitches in your code because when you were remembering, when you were actually doing that project and only working on that project, you had a few things in the back of your mind. You're like, I need to fix those. You're going to forget those things first. So those are the things that you have to put down to do comments if you're switching a task. I typically don't comment a lot. Um, I, ver- I comment very rarely, actually, only in stuff that's unclear to me personally and unclear. Would would I think like if someone else needs to maintain the code, it would be unclear to them. I try to write code that's self-commenting, but for to-do comments i do use those quite often like if i'm writing a function and it needs like i'm doing one type of functionality and then i'm going to be implementing a different functionality into that function later i will always put a to do there and i i can quickly go back to that and be like oh yeah that's what i need to do just just a tip right there and that helps with you know multiple projects what's interesting actually with that com- with with those comments on commenting is that we i think we were taught this in school or whether i read it somewhere i don't really remember but i remember that people were saying that what you should really do is 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 treat your comments very formally and i actually disagree with that wholeheartedly they 
I can't remember whether it was a teacher that told us this or a book, but whatever source it came from, they were saying that you don't want to be embarrassed by your comments. You don't want to explain something that somebody else is just going to understand. You don't want to look like an idiot. You don't want it, the, the code to look messy with all these comments. But the one thing I, I disagree with that fully, because if I'm learning something new, one of the things that I do all the time is I will write out how it works. Like if I struggled for like a half hour to figure out how this stupid conditional statement works or something. I don't know. Something like that. And I just, I kept like screwing it up and screwing it up and screwing it up. I'm just like, the hell with this. And I literally write down the thing I had trouble with, like the, or like sometimes I'll write something stupid, like the index starts at, starts at zero or like whatever. I don't know. Like uh, I know that, but you don't, you know what I'm trying to say that if it's something like it was, even if it was something easy that I just kept like missing and missing and missing, or I just like had to keep looking it up and looking it up. And I just was so stuck. I write that stuff in. And what are you going to do? Laugh at me because you wrote that down. I mean, go ahead because your comments should help you. Like you're saying, help you go through it. And another thing actually I will do as well, uh, is I curate my comments based on what I know I will search for. So I make my comments control F able for yes. me though. I know that I call this thing the whirly jig. I'm going to put whirly jig, even if it's in brackets in the comment. So I'm going to be like, where's that whirly jig? Control F whirly jig. There it is. Yeah. And that's why I do the to do. So I literally put to do in capital letters so that I can control F and go in and see what I have to do on that page. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So I, that, that's 100%. But again, like I said, to do is actually a standardized word, a keyword in comments where some IDEs or some plugins will actually take that and give you like a separate to-do list of your to-do list of your to-do tasks and with like line numbers and stuff. That's, so you too, can, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So I, I haven't fully utilized that because I'm okay with just control F to do, uh, but I do know that that exists. I've seen it happen before. Um, now, next ta- next thing here is if you have a team, learn to delegate. So this one probably doesn't apply to many of you, uh, but once... But this is kind of an indicator of you having to start learning how to delegate a little bit, whether that has a team involved or just like a simple contractor or maybe your business partner, whatever. um, This is the kind of thing where if you have this many projects and you are getting overloaded, start thinking about bringing someone on to do a little little piece of it. Start thinking about outsourcing little chunks of it if you can't afford it. Um, sometimes you'll have to up the price and sometimes you'll have to eat it a little bit just to get stuff done, maintain good standing with your customers. But it's better to do that than completely flub the project, get overwhelmed and go to like start panicking and, you know, check yourself into a psychiatry ward or something like that. When you have this many things, it's usually a good thing, right? Like when you have so many projects that you're working on, hopefully they're all monetizable. Hopefully you are getting paid for them. That's a good thing. That means that you're doing something right. So start spreading that load around. Start building your business in ways that's sustainable, but something that you can build into something that you can live off of and stuff like that. And sometimes that applies getting more people on. Um, this is something we're currently working on and working through and we're trying to get better at. Like we're definitely not good at it, I would say, but we are, we do have a contractor that we're working with on a consistent basis at this point. We are thinking of more contractors like Matt and I were having a discussion before the podcast about, you know, reaching out to some people and trying to get to see pricing and stuff like that. Like we are 
slowly going through this process um, and we're getting better at it, but it's definitely something that we need to work harder on. And that's something that I would recommend you to do if you're in this kind of situation. And and one other thing with that too is one of the th- one of the things that a lot of people, especially if you're one of the founding entrepreneurs of a business, is you'll really want to not delegate tasks out. I guarantee you that you actually do want to delegate stuff out. If you think about it this way, it's if somebody emails you and says, I really need you to change this link's text or whatever on like a Saturday afternoon, you're like, man, I really don't want to do that. That's the exact type of stuff that you should be delegating out or at least delegating stuff out so that you're not annoyed on that Saturday or, or when you get that email, you should be, you should never or like rarely be annoyed by an email because you're busy doing something else or that you should be doing whatever like you if you have that which we all do you're actually at least in my opinion ready to delegate already and if you find like a good person to delegate stuff to and you learn what their coding style is or what their learning style is or whatever it is you like learn about how they work for you then you you really have an advantage there you don't you don't have to hang on to something just because you like it a lot of course if it's a passion project you might be hesitant or maybe you want to keep your passion project and keep your client projects for that other person but anything that annoys you anything that you don't want to do anything that you find repetitive everybody has something like that that is stuff that you should start delegating to feel the person out and then you're just going to be like man that's really convenient let's delegate more of this to that person or more people depending on how much work there is yeah absolutely and uh even like just thinking about it right now matt Matt and i were talking before this and we want to do like a newsletter for for everyone and which will involve some like you know personal uh article recommendations and little description about our podcast stuff like that uh as we get like better at that and as we have a repeatable process i can see something like that being delegatable so we literally send someone links send someone a description and they you know structure the the newsletter for us so that we don't have to do those administrative tasks stuff like email management that's something that we could delegate in the future as well once once we actually do need that um maybe at some point when hat is a little bit more monetizable we can delegate stuff like uh you know podcast reminders on hat or with the coding challenges that we're planning on doing stay tuned for that by the way uh we can delegate some of the administrative work behind that, like, you know, formatting the post and putting it on the discord and maybe our site as well at the same time. Those are the kinds of things like Matt was saying, the repeatable tasks that you can do that you, you as the entrepreneur have the vision and you can just, you know, either write up a documentation or just show someone step-by-step. That would be something where like a personal assistant might come in handy or a virtual assistant, whatever. That's, I mean, Matt, we'll, we'll look into it at some point. I'm sure right now we need to, create those standards and then we'll talk about it well that, that, that's actually a good point anyway because we've already been looking at and this is i think there was one of the things that i said i wanted to do in 2020 and i absolutely have been doing in the back end is i'm automating a lot of stuff i've been really looking at how to ifttt things i haven't done anything with that specifically but i've been utilizing trello templates a lot i've been utilizing standardized procedures for myself standardized naming so i can find things in file systems standardized uh, standardized times to email people standardized times to i've been really doing that a lot in the in the back end and it has really 
helped me manage things. And I've had to obviously, you know, change it as things go and all that type of stuff. Your first iteration is really your first draft of like what you're going to be automating. But I have a lot of stuff automated. I have a lot of stuff that I'll not delegate out, but maybe I'll delegate to the point where I get it prepared enough that I could work it o- work on it on my phone. And then I just work on it and chip it away as I go around go around the town or whatever I'm doing on my phone that day, or if I'm just like chilling on the couch watching TV, I could just do it on my phone. I don't need to have a big laptop with me, stuff like that. All of that type of stuff, it just saves a lot of time. And then if you add delegating things out, like Mike saying with the, with the, the email, now Mike and I, all we have to do is, is really kind of generate the content and I don't have to worry about the intricacies of Trello and that type of thing. I don't have to worry about like, oh, do I have a template for that? Did I have to do that? Like whatever. It's somebody else's problem and they're already in the mindset of Trello and whatever email service we're using. And then, we're already in the mindset of, oh, we need to generate content for hat. We're not doing that task switch that we've already mentioned earlier in the episode. We're not having that, that change, that, that changeover, that like changeover delay, I guess is what you'd really call it. You're not having that, like, I got to snap back into this. Where is this? Is this a Trello? Did I save it? What, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that topic, the last tip I have here is give yourself time to manage emails and communication. Now, obviously, if you have a virtual assistant, this changes, but I'm assuming most of you aren't at that stage anymore. So what you're going to have to do is make sure that you can cut your, cut some time out of your schedule, either in the morning or a day or, or during specific times. What I like to do actually is cut some time either right before and right after a meeting or something like that. I like to book my communication time around scheduled meetings. What, why is because the meeting is already a communication starter. And usually what happens after a meeting is you're going to have more communication that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to email someone else. You're going to have to, you know, check your emails about some of the information. So you're already in that mindset. Why take yourself out? Like I was saying before, organize your tasks in similar manner. So similarity of tasks is important and meetings and communication, whether that be in the morning, whether that be in the middle of the day, whatever. I don't like to like, put a specific time down for everything and have to stick to that time. I like to be flexible because again, similarity is what's important to me rather than the time that it's done. Now, obviously you're going to have situations where an urgent email comes in and you're going to have to answer it. In my opinion, that's okay. You like just do that when you're, you know, taking a break from coding, going downstairs, check your phone, check your email. If there's something urgent, answer it. That's okay. Uh, but if you can, as best you can try to put it around times that you're already going to have to do communications. One, 100% actually the, the communication thing is a big, is a big problem, especially if you're a person that receives a lot of emails. I found myself a lot of the time you like, I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day is that people actually say, I got to draft up that email. Like when you write an email, unless it's a real quick and casual, almost like a chat with somebody, when you write up an email, it's like you're actually producing a piece of content almost. Like you're actually writing an article uh, with information, possibly with attachments that took time to generate. You are writing up like a piece of information. And again, some of those emails can absolutely be brief, but it the, but it does require that task switching. It does require that task switching delay. It may require you to read a really brief email like, hey, what was the version number on that? Now you got to go fire that up. You don't remember where the version number was. Was it in the settings? Was it in the help menu? Where was that version number? And now you're, you're off looking at stuff and now you're at like two, three minutes for one email. doesn't sound like a big deal, but then what if that person's like, oh, I actually meant the app ID. 
And now you got to go and you got to find the app ID. Like, where was that app ID? Where's that at? And it, that that's where it comes in. Now, I have heard, and this is a very small sample size of literally like one or two people, where they've said that using a, a chat app, and I'm sure a lot of people out there use this, like, like Slack or Microsoft Teams or whatever, really help with with those types of task management things. So like we're with the uh, communicative management of stuff. It's, it's a lot more informal to simply just do something in a chat. It's easier to ask for stuff and it's easier to ignore for a bit and go back and ask the person. It's not so structured as an email. The email sort of, I don't know what it is, but it seems to sit in your inbox and like burn a hole in it. (laughs) It's almost like that expression where like that money's burning a hole in your pocket and you got to spend it right now. It's almost like for whatever reason, I hate leaving an email unanswered for a long period of time, but a chat, it's just a lot more informal. And I think that's maybe the driving force where I'm like, oh, I will answer this person later. And now my phone, I can actually snooze notifications. And I do do that on occasion where I'll snooze the notification and I'll just get it like a new text in like four hours or whatever. So that's just how I deal with it. I also... I, I've moved this around a bit, but I also check my phone right away in the morning and I do a lot of my communicative stuff right when I wake up. But when I sit down and I choose a task, if it, the task is going to take two hours, I actually do not check email unless it's for that client or if something urgent is in the back end. I do not check my email or do any communication until that two hour task is done because that I do all my communication during that relief period where you're like, woo, you know, that task is done. Now I'm going to answer two, three emails, do another task. Woof, that's done. Do another task, et cetera, et cetera. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, with that, I think this gives a good tool set or a good start to helping manage manage yourself. If you have multiple projects or even if you have one really big project, I'm sure some of these things can be taken and applied to those situations as well. Um just just make sure that you remember, don't start panicking, keep calm, and just get everything done in an analytical manner as much as you possibly can. Yeah, 100%, 100% is, I mean, Mike and I have had another concept where we were going to talk about any of our any of our shortcomings or stuff that we wanted to improve on, sort of like a, almost like a 2020 check-in where, you know, we're a couple months into the year, what do we want to improve on? And, you know, what's been bugging us where maybe we have a hole in our skills for a couple of years. And I, I would say... I would say that keeping calm is one of mine, honestly. Um, although I've gotten a lot better at it. I used to like freak out and I think that was actually beneficial in the corporate IT sense because I would start like, not literally, but like, you know, start tearing heads off where you're like, you go, go, you go call that person. You go over here. We got to run over here. We got to plug, plug this, plug that in over here. We got to get this person up. And it's like, it's like I need to channel that freak out. But then I was in this job, I was freaking out without the need to. And then I was just like, had that too much energy and I started freaking out and like applying it to like the wrong, wrong things. And I'm freaking the hell out. And it's just a matter of like, go to your chat for your support team and ask them why their server's down and when it's going to be back up because they run the data center. They do it. And then I'm like sitting there freaking out. Like, Oh my God, we got to call somebody. We got to call somebody, you know? So that's one of my, I mean, that'll come up in that episode, but that's, that's one of those things where I a hundred percent keeping calm. You just sort of like, Oh, I got to call that person. But I know that, you know, X thing is going to come back up because it's Webflow or it's, you know, a server you're renting and they're obviously working. They they have data center operation people. They operate the data center. So they for sure they're going to be working on it or maybe they need to be told, but then they'll be working on it. So why am I freaking out? I can't go there and like pull the router out like of the rack. Like, what am I doing? 
So I've gotten 100% better at that. So keeping calm and just getting stuff done is pretty good. Uh, what's the expression, Mike? Slow, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. There you go. I thought you were going to go for slow, is ste- slow and steady wins the race. I don't like that one. That's too fairy ish Fair enough. I, I don't know why I don't like that one, though. That's a pretty good one, but no. Uh, I don't know. Mark, Mark Wahlberg taught me that one. The slow is smooth and smooth is fast from, from Shooter <laughs> available now. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, unless you have anything else to say, Mike, I'll move on to our sponsor spot and then we can check out our weekly web news. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Well, our sponsor, as uh, as per the usual lately, is uh, ep- this episode is sponsored by the One Membership by Template Monster. One Membership, your ultimate web development kit, which includes WordPress and CMS themes, e-commerce themes, powerful plugins, presentation templates, diverse graphics, unlimited installations, 24-7 technical support, and one year of free hosting. Use our link, tinyurl.com slash HTML, all the things, and our unique promo code to receive 10% off. That code is HTML all the things 10 we receive a monetary kickback for any purchases made using our link and promo code and this will also all be in our show notes you can see a written version of the link and the promo code but now web web news mike actually wrote the web news this week as well so mike take it away all right so title of the web news open plan offices are bad um it's comes from an article that i read on Inc.com by Joffrey James. I'm not sure if that's how you spell it. Maybe it's Jeffrey or Joffrey. It doesn't matter. I think it's, I think it's Jeffrey, uh, right? I don't know. It's G-E-O. Yeah, that, that, that's, I think that's Jeffrey, yeah. That's still Jeffrey? Okay, fair enough. So Jeffrey James then. Uh, and in this article, he quotes a Harvard study that was done that breaks down breaks down open offices, the statistics behind them and stuff like that. And what it essentially says is that open offices – are very popular right now. And so a lot of startups do them. A lot of larger companies do them. Like Google and Facebook has been known to do open offices. When you picture a Google office, you kind of picture an open office with a bunch of, you know, glass walls and a bunch of desks in the middle where everyone's kind of hanging out and chatting to each other, sitting, standing desks, stuff like that. I was, lit- I was recently at a pretty big corporate office and they were, had very big sections of it that were open. So it's a very popular current trend in office space. Now, what the study says is that they're actually doing the exact opposite from what they want from these open offices. So the open offices were created for a few reasons. One reason was they wanted people to collaborate better because you're all sitting in one big room with no walls. The theory is, is that if you have an issue that you can't solve, or if you have an issue that you need some someone's opinion on you would just you know look at that person be like come over here can you help me with this issue that was the theory behind it what ended up happening was people instead of doing that were going on their slack and asking the same exact question to the person that was sitting like right beside them in the open office because it's just faster and easier and you don't have to take off your headphones and you don't have to get out of that context switch and be in that one-to-one person communication then come back into your you know, headphones and then continue coding or doing whatever you are, you are doing. This is what ended up happening. And this is like, again, this is a Harvard study done the product. Not only that, the productivity actually went down compared to other, you know, more traditional office spaces like cubicles or, you know, closed wall offices and stuff like that. So you have a double whammy. 
your productivity is going down because there's a bunch of distractions around you. You don't have any walls. There's people moving all around. There's dogs everywhere. There's, you know, yoga balls sitting out, uh, which is fair. Like there's distractions. What are you going to do? And you're not communicating better with everyone around you. You're still using the traditional communication methods of email and instant messaging and stuff like that. So there's no, there's literally no benefit except for the fact that you're say, you might be saving a bit of money on your rent. But that money, and this article explains that, is being wasted on the productivity that you're losing. So it doesn't make – there's literally no sense to it according to this article. Um, now, with that being said, these revelations beg the questions. Which office type do you prefer? And we'll talk to you, Matt, specifically right now, and I'll, and I'll give my preference after. Is this, let, let's make a deal? Let's make a deal, exactly. Um, and also the audience, like again – at us, at HTML Everything on Twitter and HTML, all the things on Instagram. Let us know what you think of this as well. What's your revelation? Do you like the open office type? Are you a closed office person? Are you a cubicle person? Which one do you prefer? Um, I'm going to do a, a Twitter poll. When the episode launches, I'm going to do a Twitter poll now. Do it up. Do it up. That's a good idea. Go on Twitter. So again, at HTML everything on Twitter and vote in our Twitter poll because I'm, I'm very curious to see what kind of person. I'll pin it to the profile. Uh, I, think, I think remote is going to be on that Twitter poll and I'm assuming – I'm 99% sure that's going to win. But we'll talk about that. And the next question that I have is do you actually need an office? Like is there any advantage that you can see for a web development firm or a development firm in general to have a physical – office where employees have to commute every day and sit there in either a big room small rooms whatever go matt well your thoughts one of the things that's interesting is i i I have seen and heard open office concepts actually come along with moving people at the management level out of offices and into the open workspace and what that was supposed to do i assume is bring them down to your level to make you know that they're not elevated above you. They serve a different role in the company. They're another cog in the machine, but they're not more important and they're supposed to be more approachable. And I actually have an issue with that as a person that would be, let's say you start as a new person and you want to get promoted to, you know, management. You have to kind of work your way up from, Let's say there's a gatekeeping role some companies have, so they put you in the gatekeeping role. Then you go to a, a more formal role, but it's junior. Then you become a senior. Then you become a team lead or a tech lead, depending on what department you're in. And then you become a manager, right? Different different trees and different advancement for all companies. But I kind of feel like you're taking somebody's advancement feelings away from them. You're making them feel as though they're not advancing and that they're just one of everyone else which they are, people shouldn't be going crazy with power or anything like that. But I think that the office is sort of like a reward for you where you're like, oh, damn, like, you know, this is my own little space. I have walls and a door. This is like a thing I've earned. And I think it kind of helps, I would think, myself. It's like something to work towards. There's a reason why those executives, that executives don't, why aren't executives down on the down on the, the floor with you eating at your kitchenette and laughing at your water cooler. And it's probably because they pro- they feel as though they've earned the right to have that office. Well, I don't think that the gate 
the gate to enter an office should be at the executive level myself. Now, this is all, you know, every company is different. They might have open concept and still have their managers in offices. But I have absolutely read about uh, and seen managers get like, hey, don't use your office. Come on out to the floor. I don't like that's not it doesn't make them more approachable. It kind of makes it look like they're watching you more to me. It kind of makes you a little more paranoid. You're like, oh, damn, like this guy's watching us a little more. He can just see me and I'd be a little worried. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. The 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 big the the guys up high want to want to say like, hey, watch those watch those fellas on there. Like, watch your team. Make sure they're not like on YouTube or whatever. You know, I don't know, but it just feels weird. It feels like you're stealing something from the manager more so. Another thing is is that when you're doing remote work and you're you're in a meeting. So Mike and I are not literally in a meeting, but we have meetings. There'll be times where we're like, okay, yep, we need to do posters and this and that whatever content for hat and what you do is you take you do a takeaway from that meeting and then you you take it away and you go and do it the reason why you do that is because it's not normal for us to all be sitting in a boardroom in a meeting all working separately on different things i don't constantly need mike's input and i don't constantly need you know the other guy's input that's in the room or whoever else is in the room if open concept to me was a really good thing, then we'd all just be working on big boardroom tables. Why isn't it just like this big, why aren't there just like six super long tables across the whole floor and everyone just sits down with no seating plan and you just work there? I think it's because if it's weird, it's it's like you want to kind of work alone. There's a reason why IT guys will, even if they do home, home repairs and homework, um, like, like on site for users in their homes, there's a reason why they take the computer's home. It's because they don't want the user to see them mess around in the menus or mess around with the settings. They don't want the person questioning them. Because if you're sitting over somebody's shoulder and staring over their shoulder, you're going to have questions and you're just interrupting them. It's almost like, what do they call that? A backseat driver? It's almost like you're backseat driving, but in your work role. Now, I remember years ago at E3, I think it was actually for the game Hardware Rivals, but I don't, I don't remember fully. I'm almost certain that's what it was. And they advertised at E3 in like a little trailer thing that they had this great office and they were all sitting around this table and they're all in this living room. There's a reason why we don't work in living rooms, people. Because it's not really all that productive. There's a reason why if somebody works remote, they work in an office, they don't work in their living room. Some people work in their living room if they have a lighter job. Maybe they maybe they do stuff like... They ship stuff out for a company, so they just have the TV on while they're packing stuff, certainly. But when you have a bit of a intellectual, uh, a technical intellectual job where you have to think about your programming and such, it's a lot more comfortable and it makes a lot more sense. And it's probably better for your back and your posture to sit in a proper chair at a desk and do your stuff on a computer without having to be constantly worried. Like even at home, I will oftentimes have headphones on or I'll put my Galaxy Buds in just at, just, just sitting here, right? Uh, I, could play it on the I used to play it on the the speaker from the computer or play it from my from one of my Google Homes or my other Amazon thing like all of that type of stuff but I don't do that because it's just it's almost like you're in like a like, like you're trying to when you're work you're you're trying to create a private bubble for yourself and the cubicle gives you a private bubble with like some sort of semblance of a physical bubble actually being there the open concept doesn't really make sense right it doesn't really make sense. I don't really get it. I 
don't get why they thought it was I don't get how this this fad went nuts. Like people were requesting this. Like employees were like, it'd be nice to have an open concept. Would it? Like yeah, I don't pro- know. I've never heard that. I've heard yeah, I've heard it. I've absolutely one hundred percent heard it because it probably looks nice. It does look nice. It does look nice. Yeah. Do you want to take a magazine picture of a bunch of high walls where you can't get the get the camera in there? Like, if you want to take a picture of an office, there's all these high walls. There's a frick, people working in cubicles, and some of them have high walls, low walls. Some of them are like a service desk, so they have like a little table, so people come up and you know, hey, I need help with this and whatever it is. Like, like it is like it. It's not photogenic, but it is photogenic if you're at the water cooler laughing and you got your nice little plant with your kitchenette, and your kitchenette is visible from your work area, and you're all sitting around a, a fake living room, and you're all laughing with your laptops. Like it's weird that that game company that I mentioned mentioned that they're like they're like, oh, we have this new open concept thing. It's like I guarantee you guys are not sitting around that living room table looking thing and doing this. Like someone has to make those textures. Somebody has to make those cars drive because it's a car game. Somebody has to make the compatibility work. Somebody has to test the freaking game. You're not gonna be like, oh man, I got the biggest bug ever bill you want to see this biggest bug i gotta qa it i'm gonna waste time talking to you about it so you can come look at this oh great i'm gonna be here all night oh yeah like what the hell are we doing here like you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely like my 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 issue with open offices especially is the communication aspect to other to your clients and other people like how are you supposed to have like a meeting like an online like a phone call how are you supposed to have a phone call in an open office it would require everyone to have noise canceling headphones yep. and noise canceling microphones because you could have multiple people and they're having meetings. You, you probably and everyone's yelling, yelling at each other, like yelling across the rooms and stuff because people have different vo- volumes of voice when they're talking in meetings. Not everyone's going to be like, all right, let's, uh, how, what are we discussing today? We're going to be discussing, uh, you know, like no one's going to be whispering into their microphone. So everyone's listening into each other's meetings like that. You have to have call rooms or, or use a whole have, conference room for one, one on one phone calls. Which is useless. Like that means that's a huge that, amount of real estate wasted. That's a huge amount yeah. of real estate. It doesn't make sense to me. And most of the time, if you're looking at one of those pictures of an open office, almost 99% of the people in an open office have noise canceling headphones on. Why? Because they need that privacy. They need that silence to be able to work or whatever background music to be able to do their job. And that defeats the purpose of an open office. Like in my opinion, if you have an open office, ban headphones. Like ban that, noise that's a good. Headphones. That's a really good point. Honestly, the hell's the point of having someone sit stand sit there or stand there in noise canceling headphones in an open office when you know that no one can even talk? Like you can't be. Hey, Jim, they they can't hear you. They can't hear you. The guy has noise canceling headphones on. So you, what you have, what you do, and what's been proven by this Harvard study that that we've quoted is the fact that they just go on Slack and message them because they're constantly looking at their computers and they're like they're not looking around. And and so they, then, they can get to the slack in five minutes. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. You know what I mean? They don't have to get to, they don't have to interrupt their workflow because again, what happens if they're in the middle of a working session, they're in an open office, they're getting shit done, and Jim decides to yell yell at you for <laughs> like some random thing about his own work and you interrupts your work so that kills productivity. Again, it's been they've always been proven to kill productivity. That wasn't the thing. The reason that people wanted open offices is to promote collaboration because collaboration is supposed to promote creativity. better products and creativity. Like that's that was the that was what it was designed for, essentially to create better products so that you don't have one guy sitting there and doing everything on his own. He can reach out to you know Bill or Bob and be like, "Hey, can you come here and help me with this project?" 
but there's nothing stopping those people to promote an environment where if you have an issue, you bring them in a code share like VS Code or whatever other ID has great live coding mechanisms in it where you can have multiple people sitting there and coding in the same exact window and doing that collaboration. And you can have like a, you know, a Zoom meeting or a Skype session where you can see the person if you need that kind of interaction. We're at the point in time where I think I can comfortably say that in most instances, remote work will generate better quality products for less cost than an office would. Like there aren't like, I'm not too sure how many situations would require would absolutely 100% require an office. You know is what I is what I want to say. You know what you know what's actually hilarious what you saying that is if you think about this back in the day and I'm talking like if you watched the show Mad Men from AMC that was an open concept office. Do you know probably why it was an open concept office is because they needed to physically hand people papers the people needed to yell at each other to tell each other what to type, and they had a typewriter. There was absolutely nothing going on in the background of those people's lives. They had no beepers, they had no buzzers, no smartwatches, no smartphones, no Jira, no ticket management. There was nothing. Everything was papers. And so it would be a pain in the ass to pass papers everywhere. So you would have all your secretaries and all your uh, people out in the open. They'd all be doing their work and talking and passing papers and passing business cards or the hell they're doing. And then you got your executives and your management team all in their offices because they get they get interrupted less. They delegate to the people out there, and those people need to work together as a team to perform what the executive or what the big boy told the people in the office, the people that are you know not the in, in management, literally just not in management, the, the the foot soldiers basically. But now it's like we have to we have to balance Jira. Whatever, like Jira, whatever ticketing software you're using, Teams, Slack, your your personal chat, people are talking to you personally, like you're getting messages all day, your Facebooks, your WhatsApps, your Skypes, your like whatever the heck you're getting here, your, your social media. There is a lot going on in that cubicle that literally was not happening in the 60s and 70s and the 50s or whatever. That was not happening. Everything was on paper. Everything was verbal or on, or on paper. Everything was mail. It wasn't email. It wasn't instant unless you went over and you talked to that person. Now it's a pain in the ass because you're managing your chat. And then you also got somebody yelling at you now. And then you can you hear got the guy yelling at you. you. Got, yeah, Bill or whatever Goddamn yelling. Bill. And then yeah. you got uh, somebody screaming, somebody screaming on their telephone because they don't talk quiet. And it's just like, what is going on here? Yeah, I mean they exactly. And you, you, in Mad Men, no one wore no, noise canceling headphones because they didn't really exist. They didn't exist at all. That's what I'm saying. Like it's just it doesn't make sense why why it all of a sudden came back as a fad. Other than the fact that maybe it does save some money in terms of office space because you don't need to put walls and dividers in and stuff like yeah. that. So you can have more people. You can pack more people in. But again, the study proves it. I mean it's. To be fair, it's pro- it's only one study that's shown the correlation between the communication aspect of it being worse. There's multiple studies that have shown productivity down, and everyone's kind of accepted that. Productivity goes down. You have an open office, productivity goes down. Yes. And that it, you'll have an, that's fine. But everyone was expecting the fact that if productivity goes down, maybe collaboration goes up and product quality goes up. Um, product and work instead of productivity being and productivity being down, work quality goes up. So you can kind of you know get away from 
losing money on that. But right now, according to the study, you're kind of boned in every aspect. Like if you have an open office, get that shit out of here, like immediately remove it. If you're a manager listening to this, just try to do your best to get out of that situation. And if you're a, if you're a worker bee or whatever, if you're just working there now, I wouldn't recommend going to your manager and yelling at them for having an open office. Like they're idiots because you're going to get shit on not idiots. They went, they went with a trend because of course they went with the trend and it like, it does look cool and everyone's happy kind of thing. Um, and you don't want to put yourself out there and, you know, rip on someone that maybe promoted the open office idea and is now their job depends on it kind of thing. But think of like, maybe try to bring it up casually or something. I don't know, some way, but in my opinion, an open office has always been weird to me. That's not to say that every once in a while, I don't mind working in spaces where there's a bunch of people. I like to choose when I do that. Like I said before, I went to a remote, um, a co-working office recently and I, I got a lot done there and stuff like that. But if I had to go there every day, because it is more of an open office concept there with offices around. Because it has to be because it's a co-working space. Exactly. It would be very difficult for me to be effective. Like I can do really good writing in that kind of space i can do like good community like email communication stuff like that but coding go like productivity goes down for me uh, that's you know what's interesting is like both of those like writing and in, in both senses email or for writing is yeah. quite literally like more of a creative skill yeah. so maybe so maybe op- open concept is good for somebody like a writing firm or something like that that's possible or a graphic design place or something like that something. maybe maybe in that case so in a web but in development like when you have you know, a coder with three monitors or something like that, that's just doing code. I don't think that they need to be in an open office space. They can either be at home because they can be more comfortable there and they can get more work done without, with less distractions, or you can put them in an office, maybe a cubicle. I'm not a big fan of cubicles just because they, I don't know. I don't, I think it's just because a they, there's, there's a negative them. connotation between yeah. like people that hate their job are always like, in their cubicle. Cubicles. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think an office is another thing that, kind of helps promote that and you're right like the promotion being that you get an office is a factor in like you working harder and getting you get a, you get a little office. piece of real estate at that company yeah. almost essentially yeah. you know I, but i think on, on another respect is like maybe it is worthwhile to have your new employees in office like in a cubicle or something like that maybe even in an open on concept office if you already have it but i think the promotion shouldn't be getting them an office it should be remote work so remote work like three days a week or something like that. It shouldn't. We should cut away the fact that people have to be at the office every day. Well, this is this is another thing too. Actually, is that is that what is the what is the point of like back in the day? So it's like when you had email. Email is as we've already discussed in this in this episode. Email is a little bit more formal. And so when email was new and chats really weren't a thing, it was all email. I absolutely get people, whoop, my microphone. Uh, I absolutely get people not wanting to do remote work or allowing remote work because they still feel like as if it's just like a faster passing of the paper across the office. I absolutely get that. But now that we have so many things, like my whole, my whole life, and this is a total millennial thing to say, is almost all digital. A lot of the stuff I buy is almost all digital. Most of my possessions, with the exception of like some furniture and the hardware devices to access my digital stuff is all digital. All of it. Most people's movie collection is on Netflix. Most people's movie coll- TVs or Disney Plus, whatever. All that stuff online. 
people buy video games, including myself, online. People people use the computer to access their browser so they can do stuff online. That was absolutely not a thing even like 15 years ago. It was like starting and stuff, but not quite there. And I would say that remote work is probably the best way to go forward because you're saving on real estate. If you want to be green about it, you're saving a lot on on like you're saving a lot of like useless land. You could put, I don't know, solar panels or grow trees there. Literally. Everyone lives somewhere and that place is not, you know, one meter by one meter. They could fit a laptop in there. And when you get off of a call, so like if you get off of your Zoom call, your Slack call, your Teams call, your whatever it is, you're essentially going back to your cubicle, but it's just your house. Now, if you think about it, again from the green perspective, that house, it's it's Canada, it's cold here. This house is always being heated, whether someone's in it or not. Why does that office also need to be heated? Now, there are certain jobs that need it. Data center, you know, that's something that will pop up more and more, and you need someone there, or you can't have no one there. That doesn't make any sense. But you can absolutely have a bunch of people working remote, and you could do, like, a rotating shift where you allow them to work remote, but you just have, like, a fixed... You say you have 100 employees, and 25 need to be on-premises at all times to make sure everything goes nice. That's it. Realistically... Why would you ever want want to buy a place? It's hard enough, like realistically, to buy a property to live in or to rent a property to live in. Why are you trying to, if you're an entrepreneur, get an office? Unless you like that aesthetic or you have some very specific thing that you need. Like if you're a, a fashion designer, I'm sure you, you can't work at home. You can't have all this fabric everywhere and everyone has fabric all over the place. But in terms of like accountants or the web developers or programmers, game game devs, they need to go in to do their mocap and stuff. But then when they're done the mocap and they're just sitting at their computer programming with it, they don't really need to have that cubicle. So maybe the company could just buy a mocap studio. Hell, don't even do that. There'll probably be, because remote work would increase, there would be places to rent a mocap studio. So you have one mocap guy... Just You just rent and they rent out to like 10 studios or whatever. You know, it's really not that hard. It just, it just doesn't, it just, there's no, the only benefit of going to an office in, in roles that could be all remote easily, in my opinion, is the social aspect. If we're concerned about people being antisocial, then this is technic- this is very antisocial. Going remote is very antisocial. Depending on how many calls you do and that type of thing, extremely antisocial, very. <laughs> but there's literally pictures of people on commuter trains from the 60s, all not talking to each other, all with newspapers. So were those people being social? Did they have beepers? No, they didn't have a beeper. Like, they weren't even there yet. The internet was not a thing. The TV was a thing, and there wasn't no TV on the train. You know what I mean? There was. There is so much going on in our lives in our pocket, in our pocket now, that it it's completely revolutionized everything. Mike and I were playing a game one time. You remember this, Mike? There was a world war, a world war between players going on in our pockets. Remember that? It was Mobile Strike. There was all this crap, and there were clans, and there's people fighting, and there's conspiracies, and all this stuff. Like... Thousands of dollars are being spent in our pocket. 
in our pockets. That commuter reading, being antisocial on his commuter train, had like 7,000 words to read in that whole paper or whatever. That was his life. Now we got people coming in. We got notifications coming in. We got people fighting about stuff. We got emails. There's Netflix to watch. Like, this is nuts, man. And this is why you kind of need your own space because if you're running around, like some people will use their phone constantly. I don't really use my phone when I'm out. I actually kind of, even though it's mobile, I like need to go be alone for a minute and like use my phone because I need to like deal with the stuff on my phone. That was never in the to-do list back then. There were no games with wars. There was no like photo management. There was no newsletters. There was your monthly magazine, maybe a couple of flyers, all from local stuff, and then your newspaper and your TV. That was it. Now TV's like, what? Who cares? Like, we'll watch what we want when we want, you know? The world's changed, people. Yep. So here's, okay. Here's the final verdict, in my opinion, right now. I'll, and you're, you're going to answer this one, Matt. All right. Uh, all managers out there right now that are listening, all the owners, the entrepreneurs that are thinking about getting an office, listen to this. What, not only do you save money on not having to rent an office, which is a significant amount of money, anywhere between like two to ten thousand to thirty thousand dollars a month. I don't know how big your office needs to be, but it's it's a it's a lot of money to rent an office. I we looked at an office one time, it was a million dollars a month for thirty six employees space. Okay, sure. Thirty six employees. Whatever. Like you're saving that money. Not only that, ask your employees, and I'm gonna ask you this, Matt, right now, how much less would we pay like would you be willing to take to work remotely so in, oh. for instance i'll give you Here this we go. you get two job offers matt one job offer is to go to work in mississauga every day for i don't know let's say a hundred thousand dollars the other job offer is completely remote for eighty thousand dollars oh i was gonna say i was gonna say i'd, I'd cut it by i'd 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 cut by twenty five percent, so we're within five G's. That's think about that. So you're not only saving. Matt's not the only one that would think like this. By the way, there are some people that would probably not, but most people, most people, it's documented that most people in the world are introverted to a certain degree. It's not even the introversion. It it's but it's gas. It's yeah, waiting. No, no, I, I know, you know. I know exactly. It's the traffic and stuff like that. It's a, it's a lot of factors. Oh yeah. There's not there's not many people out there that would prefer the office. There are some, no doubt about it, but there's not that many people. So you're not only saving on the office space. You're saving a ton on developer and personnel salary because people are willing to take less. They're 100% like they will 100% take less for that kind of perk. That's a very big perk for a lot of people. What's hilarious is is, is people are going to be up in arms about that because what it's kind of supposed to be is if the company is saving money, Unless they're reinvesting it in the company, they should be technically reinvesting it in their employees. So if their True. employees are costing them less, meaning they're not taking up physical space in real estate, then technically those employees should be actually paid more. But you are 100% correct where, but they uh, where I would yeah. take a pay cut <laughs> because you got to remember here, yeah. you got to wake up at a certain time. You got to drive. So you got like car, like even, uh, even if it's an, even if like, let's say it, it's 75,000, let's just take, let's just say 75,000, 75,000 to work remote or a hundred grand to commute to Mississauga. I used to do that. That it that was um over an hour each each way 
Over an hour. At least. Sometimes it'd be 40 minutes. If it was perfect, like once or twice, 40 minutes. Sometimes it'd be three And hours. I liked my office. I liked my coworkers. I liked my office. I liked the city where I was working. Everything was totally fine. Everything was nice, easy to park, whatever. No problems there. But you still have to wake up at a certain time, deal with your car. So you have to deal with like, even though that 25 grand, you know, you're not paying 25 Gs a year for your car. That's outrageous, even for... Uh, for wear and tear, but you still have to deal with it when it breaks. You have to get gas. I was getting gas every other day. I was getting gas every other it's day. It's a lot of money. That's, That's a, a lot, lot of, money. of money. Okay, there's that. Now we're talking about you have to deal with replacing the car. You have to deal with the fact that you're now tired. You're dealing with the fact that you have traffic, which is variable. So if, you're, if your traffic is an hour later, then you got to work an hour later. Hopefully that doesn't put you into a worse traffic bracket for the way home. Now you're tired. You have four hours, four hours approximately of commute time a day. It's a lot of damn time for people that work eight hour shifts. That's half a shift. Just, just commuting there. And then they're not going to let you take, like only work for four hours. That's ridiculous, right? So, I would 100% rather just stay, even even driving to Hamilton. Hamilton to where I live is, depending on, because Hamilton's pretty big, 15 to 20 minutes, usually 30, like with traffic and stuff, you know, whatever. So let's just say 30 minute even, 30 minutes. There's n- The highway I live on is not ever traffic jammed unless there's an accident, and that's happened like less than 20 times when I, since I've been on it. So... We're talking about no traffic, you know, virtually no traffic, no problems getting to work if it was in Hamilton. I still Ideal wouldn't commute. I still wouldn't do it because it's still you're dealing with a car, you have to get up at a certain time. Like there's been days where I just get up on when the meeting starts, five minutes before the meeting starts, really put on a thing of coffee, call in from my phone, and like I haven't even showered. Like who cares? And then I'll just shower at night or whatever. I don't have to worry about getting all presentable, making sure I'm dressed up nice. I'm wearing this t shirt for three days, Mike. Like, so, but that, that's what I mean. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like unless, unless you have like a video meeting with a very important client, then you get dressed up, and that's fine. But you have to do that every once in a while. No big deal. And you're not like super dressed home. up either. Just put on like yeah. a shirt. Exactly. <laughs> like, it, like, put on a like nice my, shirt, like a semi nice yeah. shirt. And if you want to pass those like building savings down to your employees and you want to make your employees happy and you want to make sure that they stay with you, because the biggest thing is employee retention, right? Like, when you have a company, a large enough company, the hardest thing to do is train new employees. So if you can get your good employees to stay with you, then do whatever you can to do that, in my opinion. Um, make their lives better, make their lives easier, give them more money, etc. Like it, just do whatever you can because having to train a whole new person up on, on a job and hopefully he's good, maybe he's bad, maybe he'll screw you over. I don't know. Like there's a million different things that can happen. It's it's a huge variable and it's a very big sunk cost. Um, I think the anyway. the environmental thing, like I'm not an environmentalist by any any like stretch of the imagination, um, but I, I like I didn't really realize if you really think about it, you're actually like really saving the environment if you if you work remote. <laughs> like seriously, like like I said, I'm not into like I don't know much about solar and stuff like that. It's not like I'm going out in my backyard and burning gas for no reason. But I'm also not like into it. I'm not like woo, you know. But at the same time, just logically thinking, um, you're saving a whole building, all the utilities of that building, whatever chemicals and all that crap that go into building a bu- like you're you're saving a lot of stuff. <laughs> like you're saving like land that could be used for farms. Like seriously, yeah, it's yep. 
No. Yeah, there's this. <laughs> I mean, look like, at all the. There's a lot of positives. There are definitely some counterpoints, and that's fine. But I think. Oh, it, if you're it, if, it, if you're a yeah, oh, if ahead. you're thinking about it right now, if you're an entrepreneur thinking about it right now, think long and hard is all I is all I want to say. Like, actually weigh your options heavily. Don't just be like, oh, because everyone has an office, I have to have an office. Don't do that. Try to think if maybe your business is one of these businesses that can do remote work. Yeah, like that's all. Do I'm you do you need a storefront? Do you need facilities? Like, do you need a place for people to try fabric? Do you yes. need a data center so people to work on it? Do you need a car garage? You can't work remote as a car mechanic. Do you need a car garage? Do you need facilities is basically the question. So what's your final verdict, Mike? Remote? Well, for me, like, remote is the way to go, right? Like, for us, for both of us at this point, I don't see any time where we would need an office. I mean, a lot of people have the argument that you need somewhere to for clients to meet you. But I think if we do get to that point where we need local clients to meet us for some reason, not in a coffee shop or not at their offices, uh, a co-working space could do the deal. Like that's a much cheaper and much more green alternative. Like you were, like you were saying, cause there's a lot of people there. You can literally rent an office there or rent a meeting room for the day or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot of options for us that there's no reason for us to have an office. So my final verdict is I agree with the article. Open plan offices are a bad idea as much as they do look good. Um, try to try to limit the amount of time. And if you do have to have an office, try to make it so that some of your uh, or most of your employees can work from home to a certain extent. So maybe it's one day a week, maybe it's three days a week, whatever. It's a big perk for them. It's a lot better for their mental health and all that. It's just it's something that you should be definitely looking into. Try to treat them like adults if you trust them. Hopefully, you trust your employees. Um, or you shouldn't have them as an employee. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. But that's that's always my argument is like, yes, when an employee first starts, it would be great to have them in an office so that you can keep an eye on them kind of a little bit. They're still grown people. Like, they're still – like, you have to trust them to a certain degree if you went through the interview process. They could screw you, but those that's the risk you take as an entrepreneur. But once you do trust them, once you do build that trust – and if they are doing their work, in my opinion, it does not matter where they're doing it from, how they're doing it, etc. If you're paying them, you know, a salary and they work four hours a day, I don't care as long as all the work that we need done to get the for, make sure this company moves gets done. I don't care what their hours are like, in my opinion. That's yeah. That's a different topic. That's a different topic. But I just need the work done. Like if I give you job, if I give you a task. I don't care how many hours it takes. Now, obviously with contractors and stuff like that, that's a little bit different. We're paying them hourly, et cetera. But on a salary worker, I'm going to treat it completely differently. Oh, and and within reason, like if the person's taking a month to upload a picture, and then he's a bad worker, then he's a like, bad you know worker. What I mean? yeah. Then he's not getting, he's not getting his work done. That's a, t- a different, uh, different ask. If he's getting his work done, I don't give a crap. You're a grown person. You know how much you need to work. Like that's, that's how I'm going to treat you. If you can't deal with that, then we're not good. Like it's not going to work. You know what I mean? This relationship, if you need more structure or someone needs to monitor your hours, then, you know, that's just not how, that's not who I would hire, if that makes no, sense. No, that's, that, that's too much. Cause I'm not, I'm not hiring someone to delegate tasks out so that I can spend that time I save delegating watching you. Yeah. Or hiring a system to watch every hour that you work or, then like I might as well do remotely, it myself. Remotely seeing your desktop. No, I'm not. No. Yeah. That's nope. it. Yeah. That's, be a grown man <laughs> or a grown woman and work and get the job done. That's, I, all I care about. It's very about. much a high school thing where the teacher can just like monitor. That's very yeah, much a high exactly. school thing. Like, we're not in high school anymore. But yeah, I think that's it. That, that's my final statement. My final verdict is remote is better. 
Cubicle is next. I don't per- per- personally prefer open concept, with the exception, possibly, of having an open concept area for the time in which a project needs its creativity, like, run through. If you're literally creating the concept from nothing, then you need that creativity. But once people have tasks, leave them to their own devices, because they have enough stuff going on in their digital lives, professionally and personally, that they also don't need to be yelling Jim across the room through headphones Jim, and not having private areas to do phone calls. It's a little bit ridiculous. But anyway, that that's my opinion. Uh, that's our opinion. That was pretty good. I like that. Uh, but anyway, thank you for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. I kind of wish that end of that web news was a bit, like, we had, like, a, like a, a real good, like, closing statement, not just like, anyway, we're concluding the episode. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like a real good web news, and then, like, but we just don't have, like, a conclusion to web news at all. Like, I feel like we need a conclusion to web news as a concept. I don't think go so. Go to our open... Like I'm that. going to the open concept office tomorrow, Mike. That's it. <laughs> I'm tearing down my walls. I'm inviting you over, and we're we're doing an open concept to uh, creatively come up with an end to all our web news. Basement's going to be an open concept. What's wrong with that? Yeah, That's no problem. But anyway, uh, you can follow us on the social... See? We need something better, but anyway. It's just... It just no, doesn't... but anyway is fine. It's fine, but if we had an open concept office, we could have the creative, the creative juices to get this flowing. You know what I mean? God damn. I almost said, but anyway, again. But I'm going to say, <clears throat> however... You can, that's not right. You can follow us via the, so, on the socials via at HTML, all the things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter via at HTML, everything. We're on Medium. We're on GitHub. And, uh, remember we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. You can find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.